0: No purchase necessary. BGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. From Variety, I'm Michael Schneider. I'm, 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 yeah. Better Call Saul star Bob Odenkirk marvels these days at how good television has become.
1: You know, we, we churn so much TV out in America. And so for many years, and I don't know if it's still the case, but in, in England it was, uh, you know, 12 episodes right. and you're done. You know, six per season. And then one special. And I think the time they took making all those shows probably lent itself to just a higher quality. Yeah, yeah now the landscape has changed, and we're seeing amazing shows here. You know, the marketplace has allowed... Uh, has, enc- has gone to a place that's encouraging quality now, which yeah. is crazy.
0: On this edition of the podcast, we talked to Bob Odenkirk about the comedies that influenced him over the years and how he feels about Hulu's pen Fifteen and even how it matches those classic shows. We also talk about his mixed feelings about being a producer and where he thinks Better Call Saul is going. It's my favorite episode. My favorite episode 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 makes me so happy. so happy. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Varieties. My favorite episode. Let's give it up for your host, Michael Schneider. Thank you, DJ Omar Khan for the theme song. It's my favorite episode and this time out we're talking to Bob Odenkirk, also known as Jimmy McGill/ slash Saul Goodman on AMC's Better Call Saul. Odekirk's pick is Anna Ishi peters the ninth episode from season one of Hulu's critically acclaimed Pen15. Written by Maya Erskine and Anna Konkel, who received an Emmy nomination recently for their script, and directed by Sam Zivelman. Pen15 stars Erskine and Conkle as 13-year-old versions of themselves, coping with the onset of adolescence.
1: 7th grade is going to be so amazing. It's going to be really, really good. It's going to be like the best year of our lives.
0: You're 13. Can you still play with dolls? How can you do this to me, bitch?
1: Alex broke up with Heather. It's happening. I guess he like, loves me or whatever.
0: <gasps> I'm really, 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 really Sorry. It's true. In the episode that Odenkirk chose, while her parents are away on a couple's retreat, Anna sleeps over at the house of her best friend, Maya. While the two start out excited at getting a chance to act like sisters, soon Maya grows jealous of Anna, who bonds with Maya's mother in a way that Maya can't. We sat down with Odenkirk recently and began by discussing all of the other shows he was pondering while choosing his favorite episode.
1: And I have to explain my choice of my favorite TV episode. Yeah, well. I'm happy to explain it. Yeah, yeah. it's Obviously, there's a lot of great TV that sticks in my mind uh, from when I was young. Yeah. And that stuck with me and motivated me to try to be a part of this business. Name a couple of those. Sure. Um, Definitely Monty Python. Um, The uh, episode with Deja Vu is one I would point to as like – a bit of a mind blower, you know, Deja Vu, where they keep repeating. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a TV show called Deja Vu, but it keeps repeating itself and shocking the the host of the show who thought he had already started the show. Yeah, It's so great. Yeah. And I'm, it it's so funny and so well-constructed. And, uh, yeah, imagine just uh, when I was, I must have been 12 years old when I saw it, you know. Right yeah. down there and and just it just blew my mind about what you could do and how you could be funny in a direct funny silly way and also in a kind of absurdist way and it could make sense too um, uh, I love that um, I actually like the goodies but I haven't seen that since I was a little kid since I was 11 or 12 so I'm told it doesn't wear well it does doesn't hold up which I believe is probably true but kitty kong sticks in my head and the one where the butterfly has a mirror on its back and the sun melts the north pole reflecting off the mirror and then the winter olympics have to be held underwater and then there's another one where they dig a hole in their apartment to the center of the earth now i don't know if those episodes are any good that was pretty broad comedy they were all out of the same school as Python, literally yeah. the same university, <laughs> well, it, but the same comedy school of um, uh, taking the Peter Sellers Goon Show vibe and you know taking it further and being having a lot of fun with it in a in a silly hippie-ish way, but um,
0: absurdist, right? Yeah, Is absurdist.
1: That the- and I, I think they're just kind of broader, sillier swipes than Python, which was smarter and drier and more self-aware. And so, so, put so up, anyways, I did love the goodies. I mean, it stuck in my head. And then let me see what else. Um, well,
0: I was going to say, but both of those kind of put them together. I mean, obvious inspiration for Mr. Show. Yeah, I mean, for that's, sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, o- obvious to, the, to 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 me and, and I'm yeah. sure to most. So.
1: Also... You know, geez. There's other things that influenced Mr. Show. I know David is not a big fan of Fire Sign Theater, but I think they did some really great smart stuff. That's record albums. Yeah. That's not T V. And um and I think definitely influenced Mr. Show. Yeah. And yeah. It was really good stuff. I think we're all bozos on this bus is really an amazing piece of uh audio imagination and humor. Anyway, T V, we're here to talk about T V. Let's talk about the things that stick in my head, SCTV, the episode where they, um, it wasn't actually an SCTV ep- TV episode. It was, uh, Martin Short was part of it. Uh, Andrew Alexander produced it. So, but it played during the SCTV slot, time slot. One time, it was a Cisco kid with, uh, uh, dubbed, a Cisco, an entire <laughs> yeah. Cisco Kid episode dubbed. And you hear Martin Short's voice, and I think somebody else from SCTV participated. I thought it was on during SCTV's time slot, and I thought it was so mind-blowing to, to turn on SCTV, and here's the Cisco Kid, and you're like, what's going on? And it's comedy, obviously. And then you can tell it's Martin Short's voice, and you're like, are they going to do the whole episode? This is before Riff Tracks, before all those people. Yeah, remember Mad Movies? I
0: yeah. know. Uh, yeah, that was that was in the 80s where they it was like a syndicated show. I think it was on Nick at Night where they took old movies and completely redubbed them. And sounds a lot like what they yeah. did that, that one episode. And that's
1: what they did. And, and then I learned just last week because I've never seen it since. It's good. It's not great. It's on YouTube but at the time nobody had done this and certainly no one had done it outside of kids in their living rooms. Nobody who were professional comedians had, had done an entire episode and put it on TV. It was yeah. so great. Yeah.
0: Um, and, and the fact that they probably, they, they sort of did it almost unannounced. In, yeah, in the totally SCC, unannounced. SCTV As it turns side. out,
1: I read about it. It was some kind of like uh side producing project of Andrew Alexander. They were trying to get it off the ground. they I don't think they did, but um, they did that one episode. And then let me see what else. I, I wanted to talk about the Royal Family, which is my favorite sitcom ever, and it's spelled R O Y L E. for Americans. Yeah, and I remember and,
0: they they tried to do an American version actually. Yes, yeah, so and so they did a didn't last shit long. job of yeah. it. I'm sure, unfortunately, <laughs> terrible. Yeah, but you like the original? It's yeah.
1: one of the smartest. It's you know my favorite sitcom ever, and it's because. Look, the BBC office is unbelievable. It's so great. The fact that the royal family is about a family and the way in which the family dynamic slowly becomes apparent as you watch it and sort of the subtext of everyone's relationships, you you have to watch it for four or five episodes before you start to realize how the daughter plays the... Father, and she's been indulged her whole life and 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 just the wife and the husband and the and the way in which they there' just there just seems to be no love in that room, and yet in the end there's this warmth that you where does it come from? you yeah. can't even it, watching it all you see are people enabling each other's weaknesses and faults and 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 yet in the end there's just a feeling of warmth and i don't want to say supportiveness or kind of warmth it's just a love yeah and i don't know where they find that in that um world that they created but they they were able to infuse it with that somehow in the most underhanded way um and it's really, really funny. Yeah. And the more you know it, the funnier it is. The more you you know what reaction you're going to get from the mom or the daughter. I've watched it three times now. Um, once with my son when he was young. He was about 10 years old. And you have to have the subtitles on because it's a family in uh, Manchester. Mm-hmm. And they have very strong accents. And, um I, could, I thought he wouldn't be able to you know watch it I don't but he loved it he yeah. absolutely loved it he could f- he got all the comedy and all the feeling out of it that's there I picked episode three if I was going to talk about the royal family I would have chosen episode three which is uh, they're all great but episode three is kind of a, just a very solid example of the hardest thing they do which is make a lot out of nothing. Uh, it's most of the show is the family, uh, watching TV and you watch them watch TV and then they just chit chat.
0: Yeah. And, they're just in the, in the living room and yeah. the, the play on, on the Royal family being this, you know, they, they couldn't be less like the Royal family, but yet, yeah, ultimately they're probably more, uh, cohesive as, as a unit than yeah. the actual Royal family in, in, uh in real life in Buckingham Palace
1: and it's super funny and super smart about human beings and and uh, the British office I absolutely love and uh, and I also of course love Catastrophe which is almost a show I chose and I'm sorry to my friends who run that show that I didn't choose that show because I and I would point to the first episode of Catastrophe and the first episode of the second season yeah where, where you were wondering what choice they would make, and they made such an amazing choice. And then the last episode of the third season, which is just blows your mind, what's going on there. Yeah. Um, but I didn't choose Catastrophe. I didn't choose The Royal Family. I didn't choose The Goodies. I didn't choose Monty Python. Uh, I chose... Pen fifteen.
0: Well, real quick before we go to Pen fifteen, and I 15. know
1: the name Odenkirk is on there, <laughs> yeah, but we'll get to please that. Please forget. We'll, about we'll get that. to that. But I have nothing to do with it.
0: Let's let, first. I wanted to ask you real quick about all these British comedies. Clearly, that was that. Oh. That was an influence. What What is it about yeah, the British I mean, humor that uh
1: I don't? I think about it as my humor. <laughs> yeah. I don't think of it as British humor. Yeah.
0: Um, but, but something about that British I mean, style of I, gee, dry I don't
1: wit. know. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I thought the the Steve Martin hosted episodes of Saturday Night Live were great fun and had an amazing energy that inspired me. But I just, you can't beat the level of intelligence and care that you know, we we churn so much TV out in America, and so for many years, and I don't know if it's still the case, but in in England it was, uh, you know, twelve episodes right. and you're done. You know, six per season, and then one special. And I think the time they took making all those shows, um, you know, probably lent itself to just a higher quality. Yeah, That's it was all. usually maybe. It's not about them being British.
0: Or, or dry or absurdist. Or maybe there's a little bit of that. But then, yeah, you're right. It's usually one writer who writes it all. So it's very consistent, and it comes from one person's voice. And, and so there's there's something special about those six or eight episodes.
1: I suppose that's a reason. And uh, I I don't know, you know. I mean, I, um, yeah, America's about churning that shit out. Yeah, now the... Landscape has changed, and we're seeing amazing shows here. Um, the one I picked, Pen Fifteen, and I love the Kaminsky method. Um, there's just great stuff. I think Catastrophe could be an American show. Oh yeah, well it's here. half American with with, with, half Delan- American. with Rob Delaney,
0: so so there is that. Um, but yeah, but so but yeah, in, in some yeah. ways, American TV has, has sort of uh, caught up with the way British TV used to be. Yeah, doing the these industry shorter orders.
1: Is, you know the marketplace has allowed uh, has enc- is gone to a place that's encouraging quality now which yeah. is crazy
0: yeah and and a lot more of these original voices uh like Maya and Anna on Pen right. 15 yeah so okay so take me to Pen 15 now this comes from uh one of the production companies involved happens to be uh, your wife's yes. so so <laughs> and, there's a and little...
1: I I didn't even know that you know she said watch this show I didn't know that her company had produced it um and So I, you know, I was just watching a show and I, of course, like everybody heard that the conceit or one of, you know, that the, the two adult actresses who wrote it, were going to play 13 year olds surrounded by actual 13 year olds. And of course that sounded a little like a sketch taken to, to, you know, show length and that automatically kind of make, made me exhausted and not, and dread what I was going to see and of course and if you've watched the show you know that you soon stop thinking about their age the actual age of the actresses yeah. because they embody those kids that they play so completely physically in their eyes the language of it is just you lose yourself as they lose themselves in those characters you yeah. lose yourself in the world that they're in and um That show, look, in thinking about all these classic shows that I love from so long ago, um, there's just no way to beat what's going on right now in TV. Yeah. I mean, come on. The the layers of comedy and humanity in Pen15 rival everything else. The Royal Family, BBC Office, everything else. And it's more inventive and slightly more challenging and, and the other thing that's happening is the direction uh, and I don't know this guy but Sam Zvibbelman yeah. is the director of all the episodes um, and there's a there's a quality to the direction and the choices in production and post production um, that elevate the emotion of it and the the complexity of, of what you're seeing, far beyond what TV could have been even 20, 30 years ago, fifteen years ago even, and and there's m- the music and the performances of Melora Walters yeah. and uh, who plays the dad? Those two in this episode, episode nine, which is called Anna Ishi Peters.
0: Yeah, uh, Taylor Nichols is the dad. Plays uh, Curtis Cohn. So but yeah. uh yeah, uh, I mean the other thing that Taylor
1: Nichols, Melora Walters as the parents of Anna
0: Yeah Anna are, Conkle, yeah
1: are amazing, you know, in that episode. I hope someone notices how great the both of them are.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that's also amazing about you, you mentioned sort of the directing uh, of this episode and the performances and, and sort of the look of it. And this was a show that was done on a like a shoestring budget. Hard and to believe. A tiny, tiny show. Very hard to believe.
1: Yeah. I mean, wonderfully shot. It, it's just so well put together and they, they hit every chord. They hit every feeling. There's There's humor and. Broad humor and silly humor, and there's heartache in this episode. Yeah, all played so well.
0: Well, this, so this is a show that comes from such a personal place. So Maya Erskine and uh, Anna Conkle, who are the creators of the show, they star in the show. It's sort of based on, you know, their life as seventh graders. But it's yeah. it's a, a relatable show. I mean, watching it, I have to every once in a while look away or, yeah. or pause it because it's, you know, it, it's. It's it's sort of that that cringe that you get from remembering what it was like. Yeah, exactly.
1: The last time I felt that cringe was watching Ricky Gervais as as David Brent do do cringy things where you can't believe you you do want to walk away or stop it because it's just horrible. Yeah, you're embarrassed for them. It's so goddamn funny. Yeah. And these girls are the same way. You're laughing and you're feeling bad so bad for these girls trying to fi- figure out who they are and and make it through this tough time of life.
0: Yeah, not knowing friendships change, uh, your relationship with your parents change yeah. and it's you don't know who you are so you overcompensate oh, God, it's and so funny. Yeah, and and it's
1: so sad when the parents talk about I mean, I don't know about spoiler alerts on a show that's just running. It's been out since February, so... Yeah, we, the we parents we, tell her they're getting divorced. It's just, that's... Yeah. That's as good as it gets. Yeah, and, Everywhere, and for For everyone involved in that scene.
0: Yeah, and what's especially heartbreaking is then she had just had a fight with her best friend, Maya. And so, right. you know, she tries to call Maya nonetheless because she just needs to talk to her best friend. But yeah. Maya's asleep, doesn't answer the phone, so that leads to... Yeah, you know, so a furthering of the rift between these two, and you know, watching the finale, you know, there, there's a beautiful scene where they do uh, reconnect, and you know, it all leads up to this this goofy, awkward dance that they do that yeah. establishes their relationship. But it's it's a lovely ten episodes that are well <laughs> worth your time. It's only five hours, easy easy to Jeez, you know, to binge. watch.
1: I'm going to watch the whole thing again for sure, no question. I'll watch it at least one more time. Yeah. the whole the whole series.
0: Yeah, but this episode that you mentioned it it is great. Uh, so so it's called Anna Ishi Peters, and the idea is uh, Anna's parents are away, uh, you know, at uh, a retreat trying to rekindle their relationship. So Anna's staying with her best friend Maya, and at first they they are just so excited they're going to be sisters. They're they're loving it. They're very awkward, but then yeah. Maya gets There's, jealous of Anna.
1: Anna's so happy to be in a family where the parents are attendant and care and. Yeah, and, and
0: Maya had taken it so for granted that she, she never helped her mom wash dishes yeah. and, and just didn't care. And then when she sees Anna being the good daughter and her mom Loving reciprocating Anna that and, love.
1: Yeah, but not over... It's all in Maya's mind. Yeah, yeah. It really is, but also you understand it. She, her friend comes over and her friend keeps hanging out with the mom Yeah, and helping the mom. And the mom keeps saying, you're doing great and thank you. And of course her friend's... Mom is just a nightmare. Parents are both nightmares, so she's enjoying this family vibe, yeah. and uh oh, it's yeah! Just it's one great moment after another. And by the way, and cringy and sad
0: as can be, and that's Maya Erskine's real mom playing her Which mom. Is crazy, just <laughs> crazy. It's
1: she's great. She's great. Yeah. It's not. Sometimes this kind of pranky casting happens, and people praise it, and I'm like, yeah, but what they do? They said hello and walked through the room. You know, like her mom is acting and carrying on with scenes. And, and in this episode, there's scenes with her daughter, Maya. Yeah. You know, in real life and in the fake world. But her daughter's 13 and is just uh, having her period for the first time in this episode. Yeah. And those are complex scenes.
0: Yeah, and and there's that one scene at the end where where Maya is crying on her mom's like lap, and yeah, but she's playing thirteen year old Maya. And her mom is playing a different version of herself. And this is not an actress. It's not a, a trained actress. But she has to play this emotional scene with her real-life daughter, but as a 13-year-old. And there must have been flashback that, that must have been a really interesting, emotional, real-life thing for them to reenact something that Which could she have says, happened. You,
1: Maya, you need to grow up. You're not a little girl anymore. Uh, she says, I think, you're not a little girl anymore. Um. <sighs> To try to get a person who isn't an actor to do that line right um, I g- would would be impossible, yeah. except that she's got the soul of an actor, that woman, and she's smart as can be, and she gets it Yeah, um, because she does it perfectly. She's unaware that her daughter had her period and hasn't told her yet, and she's just talking about referring to her um, frustrations, her daughter's, you know acting out because she's giving attention to the daughter's friend and uh so but the line hits uh, you know in so many ways and and she doesn't do it most non-actors would not understand to do it with the restraint that she does it and the naturalness that she does yeah it with she's amazing yeah. Give her an Emmy. She won't know what it means. <laughs> She'll look at it and go, what is this? Wouldn't that be amazing?
0: <laughs> um, speaking of family, so so you mentioned uh, uh, this is uh, you know, your your wife's management company, production company, along with Mark Provisero. And, yeah. And I remember actually talking to Mark a couple months yeah. ago when he first brought up, you got to see the show, Pen15. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing, like, how they managed to.
1: And as a client of their yeah. management company, so.
0: How often do you sort of, like, do you talk shop with, with your, your wife? Does she, like, show you every once in a while, like, oh, you got to watch this? Or? She
1: does, but, like, for instance, she wouldn't tell me that that was produced by her company. She shows me all kinds of things that yeah. have nothing to do with anything she's part of. She gets very excited about There's so many <laughs> young actors and actresses who she shows me, and I go, so do you rep them? And I'm. she's like, no, they already have a manager. And, you know, she doesn't, like, poach people, so... Like, well, why are you so excited about them? Just, they don't, you know, like, but she can't help herself. Yeah. She loves, she loves what she loves and she loves young actors and actresses and talented writers and people who are doing something interesting and she can't help it. She sets up, she sets up showcases for people who have other managers. (laughs) She, she works hard and she puts out flyers I'm like, you don't rep them, right? She said, yeah, but they're so great. They're coming in from Chicago. They're only here for two nights. I want to make sure people see them. Yeah, but you don't. What? <laughs> Just loves the craft. She loves what she does, and she particularly loves finding unknown talent and, uh, and uh, who nobody's talking about and sharing it with uh, everybody. Yeah. I'm trying to get the word out.
0: So that's that's interesting. I mean, again, talking about your your yeah. your your mix of uh, you know creative uh, family. I mean, I'm members. kind of the same way, but yeah.
1: not to the extent she is. But I kind of always feel that way too. You know. Yeah. Um, there's people that I've who, who I find so great, and um, my friend Andre Highland, who has done so much funny odd stuff, and I, he'll find his way. But it's been. Brutal, yeah. you know, watching this guy, who makes stuff, makes interesting stuff, and and funny stuff, and unique, and he'll he'll get there. But sometimes it takes so many years for people to find the best place for themselves to show showcase what they do.
0: What about you as a producer? Uh, how do you do? You yeah. enjoy putting the producer hat on, or what's? Uh,
1: um, um, <laughs> <laughs> I have such mixed feelings about it. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, I've produced a lot of stuff, most of it a long time ago. Um, I, I kind of, you know, I, I'm probably going to do it again, you know, just because I feel like a Catholic responsibility to do something that I can do and help other people who need, you know, maybe a voice to champion them and, and get make their way in their career. But... um it's not. It's not easy. Like Better Call Saul, I made a joke the other night that uh, you know I have the executive producer credit, but I don't uh, help.
0: <laughs> you, you don't exercise that that and power. I, like- and,
1: and it's true. It's kind of true. Yeah. And and it's because I said you know you can give me the credit, but I I I want to be the actor on this show. I want to lose myself in the role and not be worried about what time it is, how much time we have to shoot, what are we shooting tomorrow, is it going to rain? All the things a producer has to worry about getting this whole project done. They have to concern themselves with the bigger world. And I don't want to do that. I want to just be Jimmy McGill, Saul Goodman. And it's really, for me, acting has been a wonderful vacation from who I am when I'm not acting, which is like, this movie I have to write and I want to help with this show and I want to figure out this show idea and uh, sort of overseeing all these projects. Um, When you're acting, you really need to zen out and focus on this one person and what's going on in their world and you need to let it become your whole universe for a few hours a day. And that's kind of wonderful. Uh, It's kind of a... It's challenging and when when it's um a heavy dramatic scene and you're um, you're you're feeling all kinds of strong feelings um it it can be hard you know to uh stay in that place mentally for eight hours but it's for me in in so many ways it it's been a a joy and a break from uh Everything that came before it, yeah, and, and so I've enjoyed it. So I don't want to burden myself when I'm acting with all the extraneous concerns that a producer should be worried about.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you have a lot on your shoulders on Better Call Saul being number one on the call sheet. I mean, this is a an intense, complicated yeah. role, and, and to
1: well, you know, because the, you're playing, you do, like- but it, to me, the job of acting is the same which is be this guy care about what he cares about only um and think about the uh, you know think about existing in his shoes and and seeing the world through his eyes and not um and not anything else um what, what, what were we talking about <laughs> just just the, talking about the, how
0: As this show gets more complex, it's becoming more complicated for you. The thing
1: is, what's different about being the lead is not really a difference in the job, right? The job is the same as being a character actor or being a side character in a show. But what you're given to do changes, which is to say your character – most of the time a character in the um a side character is really really reacting they're really only ever reacting but a lead character isn't just reacting to uh the plot as it moves or the people around him or the situation he finds himself in but the lead character is oftentimes reacting or Exi- uh, exhibiting a kind of his psychological truth that, that kind of makes choices that are independent of can be, can be independent of the pressures of the moment mm-hmm. so you know Walter White is supposed to return the sports car because his wife's like you can't buy that for our son you know that's insane you know and he takes it on a joyride and that joy ride is nothing to do with anything except his brain and his psychology. Yeah. He should just return it or sell it or do any number of things with it and get it out of the, get it away from the house. Um, and from the kid, but inside him, uh, comes out and, 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 and you get to go to those places when you're the lead that, that, that stuff is on screen in fargo uh the first season of Fargo I had a wonderful role um uh lieutenant bill uh uh detective well no i'm sorry deputy bill and uh he he kind of has these moments as the show progresses, Noah Hawley gave the character kind of a lead role um Moments in the show where he he shows up with this kid who he's kind of adopting, right. you know, and and gives this long explanation of of finding this kid and wanting to help him, and it's just completely unnecessary to the plot.
0: Yeah, it's almost like he's he's got his own show he's going, his on. own show yeah. going
1: on. Which is a tribute to Noah, and I think a tribute to the kind of TV we all get to watch now, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and where they can go in a drama. Which that more than anything, when people talk about the way in which a modern TV drama can be like a ten-hour feature, that in a way is is what a feature film used to be able to do that TV never did. Give secondary characters more um, self-motivation, more a wholeness to their universe. Mm-hmm. That's something you might find in a movie, a feature that you never found in TV, and now you find it in TV all over the place, yeah. and it's wonderful. Yeah, yeah, especially... Yeah. And if- you find it in Pen 15. Yeah, Every character is justified, you know? The parents are not just... Awful people. Anna's parents in that show are not just awful people. They're people who are trying to make it work. They're going away for a weekend to try to get their relationship to work. And it's just gonna fail miserably. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well yeah, and that's that's the benefit of the the serialized nature of, of television now. And uh you know, the speaking of Better Call Saul yeah. asked you to pick a favorite episode, which oh, yeah. I know is tough.
1: You know, I, you know, it's not even that, it's all one story to me. And the way I, I think maybe the way I look at it, I often tell people I watch it just like a fan watches it. In some ways that's true. I don't read other people's parts that closely when I read the script so that when I watch the episode, I can be, I can enjoy what happens with Lalo and Nacho and a Gus and that world, that can be kind of more fresh to yeah, me. Yeah. Because I didn't read it closely because intentionally I, I want to watch it just like you do and go, oh my God, he's going to do that.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's, it really is two shows in one. It's to fun. Some for me. Yeah. yeah.
1: Pretty soon that will change, I think. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not, no spoiler alert, but well, we it has to change. The world's because eventually They collide. have to come together. Yeah. And yeah. soon. And, um, but, um, it's just for me, The I, I don't know. I'm living that guy's life. I don't know where it goes or what happens next. But it is hard for me to see those as episodes. <laughs> yeah. It's almost hard to see them in a chapterized form that an episode puts it in. I just see this experience that's kind of mutating and and... It's kind of alive, yeah, yeah. And and I don't want to make myself see that stuff. The things I like best about Better Call Saul are such small things that I don't think people almost uh, see them happen. Um, there's two scenes with um, two scenes with myself and Ray as Kim and Jimmy. In um, one's in the bathroom, one's in the over the kitchen counter in her apartment in season epi- uh, season four. Uh, I think one's in episode five, but I'm not sure. Um, and there were, she asked me if I, I'm going to, she she encourages me to go see a therapist, and there's almost a misunderstanding between them and then Jimmy sits down on this edge of the bathtub, and he's really lost. And she says, you, you know, you should go see somebody. And he says, "I maybe I will. And And then later she says, I thought you were going to see that therapist. And he says, you know, I just – I don't think that's for me. And the way in which the characters trade that information and take in that information – is really special to me. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's the way a real couple would do it. A lot of people would make a bigger turn, even Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad writers would oftentimes make a bigger turn out of the fact that she asked him to see a therapist, she gave him a number, and he's telling her, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. And they don't. They, they treat it, I think, more like uh, a real relationship that wants to carry on where she takes in that information and allows him that space to make his own choice. And even though it's something she really wants him to do, she doesn't go, God damn it, you told me you'd do this, and now we're going to make conflict out of that, and there's going to be drama out of that choice because she really, it's important to her. But they let, they, they make, these two people make space for each other and forgive each other for almost, you could say, lies in the way, <laughs> I hope my wife doesn't hear this, <laughs> in the way that a real couple needs to have some flexibility around each other. Yeah. For you said you'd do that thing, that small thing, or I really want this and you know I want it and they just make room for each other uh, to grow. Like, I know maybe you're not ready for this yet and that's okay. Yeah. I'm still going to be by your side. It's, it's
0: a subtle negotiation. It's a subtle,
1: yeah, breathing that they allow the relationship to do that. I just, I mean, my God, that's, that's, that's as complex as, and real as anything in life. Yeah. And it's a small, small thing. It's not a, you know, there's no one's crying. You're not going to get an Emmy for it, but you should. <laughs> I'm not saying we should get an Emmy. I'm saying every show that does that, 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 that has those real feeling moments Hey look Pen15 where the parents tell her The way they tell her Is so hard for them That complexity Is Is something I, I value so much And I love so much And, and that everyone's so proud of uh, Of TV for going there And the writers for going there But you know what The reason they go there is because the audience lets you yeah, and the audience says has had because they were given the chance to by desperate network executives who had no other thing to put on and then put on, you know, these challenging shows wouldn't have if they could have chosen anything else, (laughs) but because they're backed into a corner TV sometimes makes weird choices. Challenging choices And the audience goes Yeah yeah we're up for that And then everyone's like surprised Because they were never given the opportunity To be up for that To choose that thing Because it was never take, No one ever took a risk uh, To put it on But we find that there's an audience out there Totally willing to watch Human beings struggle And do things on a big scale On a grand scale But also on a really small um, um, macro scale—is it macro or micro? Micro, right? I don't understand <laughs> macro and micro. But anyway, yeah. you know what I'm getting at. Yeah,
0: no, I, no, I do. And it, it's, it's—I think about going back to uh, you know Kim and Jimmy. Uh, you know, another good example of this past season is Kim's ongoing hope that you know she, there's a certain way she would love Jimmy to react to Chuck's death, and she's just not getting it, and she's not. Yeah forcing him to grieve or right. forcing him to act that certain way. But you could tell she really wishes. That- it
1: really disturbs her. Yeah. That has been a bit of a struggle because everyone acknowledges that people gr- grieve in their own way. And it, grief can be a very strange thing. Yeah, A person you care about deeply and love and attend to. Uh, and spend great t- deal of time with can die, or and you can not feel anything, you can be numb, uh, your brain can go to a completely different place immediately. And almost as much as you try to feel bad, you can't feel bad, yeah. And you almost can ask, Am I a sociopath? <laughs> you know, right? But the truth is, you, your grief everyone grieves in their own way. And, you know, then they find themselves two years later, five years later, 15 years later, weeping yeah. <laughs> over the loss of that person that, it's, you know, it's almost like a compartmentalization that your body and brain do on their own that you have no power over.
0: Yeah. Particularly when your relationship was so complicated and, and complex, just like Jimmy and Chuck. Um, exactly. Yeah. To, to the yeah, very I don't end.
1: think his reaction is, uh, wrong I think he's he should be allowed his reaction
0: to do it in his own way yeah to
1: to grieve in his own way and to take in as I said to Peter and Vince when we talked about this issue I said for me that character Chuck the way Chuck treated him how Chuck died their complications of their relationship is not something you you experience in a moment of grief and woe and, uh, you know, three days of tears, it's something that echoes through the rest of your life. I mean, it's, it's the relationship and the incidents that you talk about and think about for the rest of your life. Yeah. It, it, it kind of plays out however long you get to live. It continues to play out.
0: Yeah. And that's one of the great things about having those episodes to explore the first three seasons of of Better Call Saul was to really like see that relationship, the highs and the lows between these two brothers and and really get to this point where you can sort of you can really understand this is how
1: I think one of the reasons I I love those small moments between Kim and Jimmy is because to a great extent, um, Kim. You you feel that the two of them are are destined for different paths. They just must go in separate ways. So what keeps them together? Well, those little moments say a lot. Those little moments say, to me, they actually could make it. And when you look at couples like, who's that woman who does Trump's bidding? And what's her name?
0: Uh, Which, which? uh, The
1: one whose husband is. Oh, yeah, yeah. Conway. Yeah. 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 Kelly. Kelly uh, and Conway. yeah. Yeah. Uh, Kellyanne Conway and her husband, you, you wonder, like, how does that work? Yeah. Well, it works like that, you know. You're allowed to think anything you want about the world and approach the world any way you want. When we're together, I make space for that, and I guess there's there's kind of a love on the level of, it's kind of like the two people each are pursuing their lives with the same seriousness, and they recognize that in each other. Yeah. Both Kim and Jimmy are serious about, realizing their dreams and becoming who they can be. And they see that in each other and they encourage that in each other and support each other in that. Then whatever that specific choice is, they have a little less, they care less or they think they do. I think Kim cares a little more about Jimmy and I think is asking herself more Wait, How does my dream of being a respected lawyer who does important things? A Lincoln-esque lawyer. <laughs> How does that work if my partner really wants to be this chaotic, anarchic, uh, burn everything down lawyer? You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: That's a. Shame. I don't know.
1: I'm not sure that works. Uh, and and she's probably right. That's a challenge.
0: Yeah. It's a shame Kim has to die. No, actually, no. I, I don't know. I mean, uh, way, I, I don't think. She, no. By I, the way,
1: everybody can't die. No, right? I, you
0: know? No. I'm I'm pretty convinced she doesn't at this point because it's we're not that far away from the the uh, the events of Breaking Bad, and I think if Kim had died, Saul would not. He would have broken he wouldn't down. Carry on that way. No, no. Yeah. He wouldn't be that that he wouldn't be Saul. So something happens, but not that devastating. Well, I agree. shall see.
1: I agree I also think it's just these the writers seem to uh, relish complication and challenge and so it's a it's less challenging to have her die and it's more challenging to have her live and be you know right there yeah and he is gonna live this life you know within two miles of her and do this you know the they you know that there's a lot in that there's there's a lot in the fact that he's going to be this brazen and I don't know what happens she might die but I just think that the writers probably they seem to pursue the hardest choice and then trying to justify that and make it all flow and they do it yeah so in this case to me that choice is that they uh, are still there, and they, they even still love each other.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm convinced one of these years we'll see a, a black-and-white shot of Gene sort of like finding Kim and watching her from afar in well, her new the, life.
1: Wouldn't the color come back into his world then? So,
0: maybe. Well, it depends. Depends if he's able to actually communicate with her. If if he can't, if he's only watching from afar, then it's still, he's, he's still I'm tortured. I'm
1: excited about Gene. That's the older version of Saul. And Jimmy, I'm excited about what can happen with Gene's life.
0: Yeah, the show could continue for a long time. Yeah, he
1: needs to uh, straighten up his look. But I think if he he could approach life from a different vantage point, he could find a a third wind, a fifth wind.
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And and uh, you know the, the the future of this show could be Gene. Uh, yeah, let's we'll see what happens. So so what is it like for you and the you're you're about to go back into production tomorrow? Tomorrow, I fly back. Yeah. Wow. So so what's that like on the eve of getting back into this role, this 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 world that's going to consume you for the next several months?
1: It's it's nerve wracking because I want to do justice to where we left off, and I haven't been. Playing that character for a long time because they take a long time to post-produce the show and then develop the new series and you know, new story as yeah. they go, and they really take as much time as they can get.
0: Yeah, about a year and a half.
1: Yeah, a long time. So, yeah. but you know, it pays off. A tightly written show. Um, it, it's intimidating. I, I at the same time, I, I try to be. I try to tell myself I'm not anxious (laughs) and that in the end, I I do know this guy pretty well after all this time. And to some extent, he is whatever my instinct tells me he is. So I I just got to trust my instinct. The the hardest thing to to do, and as I expressed to you a little bit ago, it's actually a, a bit of a joy too, is to really disconnect from all the concerns and projects that I generate for myself when I'm not doing that and, and lose myself in the role. So I need to, I need to f- sit in a corner and look at a, at the blank wall and erase my brain yeah, and think about who uh, Jimmy McGill is right now and, and all the things that are going on in his world and what he wants and how he's changed and how he's hoping to change and, so that's the hardest part, but I I can do it. Yeah. I'll, I will do it.
0: Yeah, get get in that two thousand four mindset where where yeah. Well, you just this...
1: have to not like fill every minute with something. You know, you you literally need to just you know erase all the concerns that you have and, and replace them <laughs> with uh, somebody else. I need yeah. a microchip replacement. Yeah, yeah. It, it's 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 gonna be okay, and uh, the focus is gonna happen. As soon as I can get to Albuquerque.
0: <laughs> I remember last uh, last time when you were shooting in Albuquerque, you you were able to spend some time. Do uh, I think you did some stand-up shows? You're, you sort of yeah, did a... I
1: did some charity sh- events, and we'll do that again this year. Um, I make the cast do th- improv or whatever they can do, sing a song, and uh, and and I did stand-up with Brian Posehn when he came through because that was just fun to see my friend. Yeah. But I I was working on my memoir, which I'm still working on. But, you know, it's pretty all-consuming.
0: Yeah. Working on your memoir.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I I am. What's... what's... It's called Comedy, 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 Drama. Yeah? Yeah.
0: Yeah. So uh, It's just a showbiz memoir. Yeah. It's, It's
1: just all the jobs I've had and people I work with and things I was trying to do, thought I was trying to do, and did or didn't pull off.
0: What's it like to be writing that right now at this moment in your career and your life, to, to be sort of doing that and um, looking back? Well, and...
1: it's no fun to write your memoir. So, yeah. anybody who thinks that's fun, please take out a piece of paper and let, let's talk in three hours. Right. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, you got to fucking think about the worst, the person you like the least in the world <laughs> yourself. <laughs> you may think you like yourself. Uh, take a few minutes and yeah. see where you're at. Um, but I'm glad I'm doing it. I, I chose to do it now. I, I actually was pro- poked and provoded, provoked and prodded to doing it. But um, pop culture moves so fast. You know that. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I want to write about Mr. Show and even Saturday Night Live Days and um, get a life. And uh, Ben Stiller's show before those things are completely, totally, utterly submerged under billions of pounds of new TV. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it really is true that things change so fast. And I and I really drew this from, you know, my kids who my daughter likes TV a lot. My son's starting to like it more. Um, my daughter loves movies and really great movies, but I don't think she's ever seen The Graduate. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, yeah. for you and me, that's like a person who hasn't seen The Graduate is insane to right. imagine.
0: But but that movie's fifty years old. So yeah, yeah I can see and, that. And yeah. so
1: you just and I don't think she's ever seen Mash. Never, not I don't think a frame of it. You know yeah. what I mean? And
0: forty years old. Yeah,
1: but. It Pop culture and its moves quadruple what it did when we were younger. And so if I want anyone to read something and go, oh, yeah, I heard about that or I remember it or I saw it or I got to write it now. Yeah. And, and I also think I, I've done enough drama now that I don't feel like I'm writing about something I don't know anything about. I'm completely new to. I mean, three years ago, it still felt. Utterly fresh But I'm not saying I'm an old hand at it But I just feel more comfortable In it now And I feel like I can write about it Yeah So that isn't Hard to do And and I And I I personally like Showbiz uh, Memoirs A lot I, I read them In a way that uh, Steve Martin's Was so great As a As a Book It was just a beautiful Piece of writing I don't think I'll achieve that But I love, um, I even love like the Bogdanovich, Orson Welles interviews. You know that mm-hmm, book? Mm-hmm. It's it's endless. It's hours and hours of them chatting. Yeah. And you can't sit down and read it like a book. You'd go crazy. Who has time? Um, prisoners would be like, that's enough of that. Right. <laughs> but you read, you know, 10 pages at a time and you hear about these projects, all these things that... He did, Orson Welles did, and all these people he interacted with and all these projects that went into the toilet, and um, it's fun. It's just I love that stuff. So I'm trying to not be stingy and talk about – it can be hard to talk about especially projects that were in the development world that never made it out. But personally, if I was reading someone's career story without needing to hear literally everything – I would want to hear about projects they spent two years on that I never saw.
0: Yeah, those are sometimes more fun because we don't know about them. And
1: why didn't we see it? And yeah. did it work or didn't it work? And
0: and can you bring it back trying now? To
1: judge that can be hard, you know. And um, there, there's so many, there's every kind of project in in my development years, um, where projects that I think were utterly valuable and 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 achieved their goal and deserved a chance and and then quite a few that i'm like i'm on the network side (laughs) cut that thing yeah kill this you know um so i i you know anyway yeah well i mean that's for, we'll, for, we'll talk about it then. It won't be out for a long, long time. Yeah, And I'm still working on it.
0: Well, I think I, actually, w- when you put it that way, it does make a lot of sense. As you know, those of us in the <laughs> Generation X, uh, you know, bracket, uh, yeah. as we continue to get a little older and, and start to feel a little more nostalgic for.
1: Also, I want to get it over with. I <laughs> gonna all my friends—they're going to be 60. David Cross is going to be writing his memoir when he's, you know, 65, and I'm going to be laughing at him. You're like, I did that Dude, 10 I years ago. Did that, yeah. man. You're yeah. way behind.
0: Yeah, but I mean, I still want to hear more about Ben Stiller's show and Get a Life and, and all the, the, the early 90s classics. Right. And again, it's... Well, a... the
1: exciting thing to talk about in that era is the scene out here in L.A., mm-hmm. the comedy scene uh, called the alternative scene at the time. Um, and it it was just the start of everything comedy is now. Yeah. And... It was a group of people, you know, you could count them on two hands, um, who were doing what everybody's doing now. And, And we were doing it, and we were encouraging each other and finding very little to no acceptance in the industry for it. And we were all between five and 15 years away from... Succeeding with it.
0: Yeah, but that's... You're right. That's when comedy sort of... This post-Letterman, post-Simpsons, like, you know, that that kind of comedy, I think, changed the game.
1: Yeah. It was... It was really a fertile, exciting, fun, energetic time with the voices so vastly different from each other. You know, um, uh, this... Conversation should take place in two years when my book comes <laughs> well, out. we'll do this again. But, you know, Margaret Cho, Janine Garofalo, Kathy Griffin, Dana Gould, Patton Oswalt, Brian Possein, Paul F. Tompkins, David Cross, Greg Barrett, me, uh, who else uh, was in the group? I'm uh, Andy Kindler. Um, uh, you know, just tenacious d um everybody you see on mr show sarah silverman of course yeah
0: and everyone's still rocking everyone's still working so yeah yeah. so So, well all right i'll look forward to that in two years or three everybody go watch
1: pen 15 episode nine if you've already watched it watch episode nine again and see a masterpiece
0: Indeed. And uh, of course, uh, re, re, uh, re binge Better Call Saul if you haven't lately. Yeah, and sure. uh, we'll look forward to season five sometime in 2020, it yeah. sounds like. <laughs> so, so we'll get going on that. Uh, but right. thanks, Bob. Always a pleasure you got talking it, man. To you. Great talking to you. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. That's it for this edition of My Favorite Episode. Join us again next time as we once again explore another guest pick. And be sure to subscribe to My Favorite Episode on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or anywhere you download podcasts. Also, head on over to Variety.com for your daily fix of TV news, analysis, and reviews. I'm Michael Schneider, and we'll see you again next time.